0: Hi, it's Mike Metcalf, this time talking about negotiation or the negotiation system. I think negotiation is something like problem solving, project management, finance that should really be taught at school. It's a life skill. There's a lot of it going on everywhere, be it dealing with your relationships. Um, buying things, arranging your work contracts, working with your colleagues. It's fairly endemic in our lives, so it's a little bit hard to be specific. So this talk really will be about some general background and and trying to network negotiation with a few other ideas. I think we have to understand it as a long-term thing. You might negotiate with someone and take advantage of them and kid them and lie to them and, you know, come away and win the battle. But you have to live in a community over a long period of time. So I'm going to assume that whoever you negotiate with, you're going to go back to and negotiate again. There might well be more cooperation in negotiation than competition. I mentioned before, I think the the relationship between cooperation and competition is very complicated. They're sort of Siamese twins. Notice when you play a sport, a team sport, You, although you're competing against another team, you're cooperating to a large extent within the rules. A lot of cooperation is presented as competition, but it's only competition at the retail end. You think of companies and governments saying that they're actually competing and checking on each other But to a large extent, they know that they've got to get on in the long term. They've got to sort it out and fix it. So there's a cooperation. I think you get this sometimes even, say, with the examination of students' assignments. There might be a certain competition, if you like, between the examiner and the students. But there has to be a lot of cooperation because at the end of the day, we need a fair system that gets people through uh, and, and qualify people into the workplace. Cooperation is what got human beings with their not having thick skin, big teeth or big claws, they got to dominate the earth and eliminate the predators that were stronger than it by cooperation, by forming gangs and and negotiating your role in that act of cooperation. So again, I think negotiation is, is very much embedded in this basic human survival herd animal thing of cooperation so to sort of present it as competition is it's a bit like the icing on the cake the cake is cooperation and and coming out with a functioning world where you know people aren't killing each other or hating each other but they put up with each other and they get on with it and they you know create prosperity as a bit of a side i suppose i I was impressed with the arguments that one of the problems of having single parent families or dysfunctional families is that the children haven't really learned how to negotiate, how to compromise, how in a house full of people some people will want one thing and some people will want another and how you negotiate what you want, how you compromise, how you give and take and it is a a lifelong learned skill. Some people are very good at it. So that some people really don't want to get into a negotiation and other people sort of go a little bit berserk when they have to. And yet it's such an everyday thing. Even if you walk into a shop and buy a cup of coffee, you're negotiating that you want a certain quality of coffee for a certain price. And if you don't get it, then you've got issues of of going back and negotiating again, or not. I mean, one way to negotiate is is not to negotiate, is to say, I don't deal with those people. So what I'm assuming by the negotiation system is where two people agree how to cooperate with each other. They both want something from the other. So even in the case of buying a cup of coffee, Someone wants to sell the coffee, someone wants to buy the coffee. So they negotiate a price and a quality. If it's some sort of extreme power relationship, where someone comes along and says, you will take this or I will hurt you, it's not really what I mean by negotiation. So you have to have something that makes the other person respectful, make them try hard to negotiate, to please you, to form a contract which is beneficial to both parties, so the inputs to this system are people having a desire to cooperate or to acquire something, and the outputs are an agreement, a contract, written or verbal, an understanding, and what you transformed is to needs into an agreement. The elements, hopefully, are reasoning and resources, I suppose. If someone says, this is the price for something, and you think it's a bit high, as in a sort of marketplace or bizarre negotiation, uh, you sort of say, well, no, I think that's a bit too much. And they'll say, why? You say, Well, I've seen it down the street, so I don't want it that much or the quality is not quite as good as something or I can get it elsewhere or I have substitute products and then someone says well this is the price then because they're thinking well if I can sell as much as I got at that price then I don't need to negotiate but there's evidence and reasoning going on in the negotiation process that makes it very much like argument doesn't it or argumentation and I don't mean quarreling I mean reasoned argument debates where someone says I, I do not in a family situation someone might say, I need the car to go here and somebody else say, Well no, I need it more because of this, this and this and you negotiate and say, Well, fine. Maybe you say, Well you drop me off or no I understand that if it's a medical emergency it has priority over going to the cinema. Again, always remembering that you're setting sort of precedents that if it's agreed that medical emergencies are more important than going to the cinema, then the next time when the roles are reversed, that has to be remembered, unless you can reason and provide evidence that the situation has changed. So making an analogy between negotiation and argument means all the fallacies of argument, of bad reasoned argument, uh, still stand. Things like uh, you know, ad hominem that you shouldn't insult the person, that thin end, end of the wedge arguments where you say, well, if that's the case, then this is the case. I remember a friend negotiating with a breakdown service that he'd paid for previously, an annual bill, and the breakdown service said, we don't service people who've broken down in their streets in the you know if they give us the location of the breakdown being the same as their home street we don't come and attend them and he sort of responded saying you know thank god i don't live on a major archery in the country where there was got you know houses over 300 miles if our hero oscar had been asked to go and negotiate say the price of a, a new piece of machinery he would have to do his homework first and figure out what the old one cost, what inflation have been going on, whether there are any substitutes, so that when somebody said, "Well, this is the price," and he thought it was high or ridiculous, or it might be more than the price, it might be that you know it does this for this price with this service contract, and has to be you know repaired in these ways, he would say, "Well, you know, I I found alternatives. There are substitutes." Are you willing to negotiate uh, the quality of the service you're offering? The price is, you know, available elsewhere, or better is available elsewhere. So, collecting some facts or evidence is quite important prior to going into the negotiation, having an angle to play or two. Let me give you another couple of examples. I remember talking to somebody who'd just recently come from Vietnam and she's a young lady who had confided in me that she wanted to try and persuade her parents to let her leave home and move in with her boyfriend and culturally this was quite difficult. So I said to her, Well, you have to list all the arguments for and against. You have to collect the evidence and and sit down with your boyfriend and say, well, if I say this, what will they say? Then how will we counter that, and etc. and so forth? In a way, that will be convincing to the other side. And she did this, and she laid down all the arguments and, and provided examples of where it had before and why it was a good idea. They thought it all through on a piece of paper together and then went and sat down have a meal with the parents and they went through the, the arguments and when the parents brought up some points they were ready to answer it they'd done the homework they had collected their evidence if only the reasoning evidence i had another case where someone came to me and said their father who was an italian immigrant and was struggling a little bit with language had got a bill for the telephone that was very high, it $1,000 or something, and they thought this was ridiculous. And they'd rung up to complain and ended up screaming and shouting at the person down the phone to such an extent that the telephone company had lodged a, a complaint, a, you know, a criminal complaint against them for abuse, and was threatening not only to cut off the phone, but to um, bring criminal charges of abuse, verbal abuse. <clears throat> so again, you, you said to this Italian lady, sit down with your dad and go through what he thinks is the problem. Anticipate what the other people will say in response. Write it down and, and start the negotiation again. And, and I think if necessary, write it out as a letter and send it. And they did this. Uh, and shortly afterwards, the telephone company uh, responded by saying, fine, forget it, we're going to correct your bill, we've made a mistake, thank you very much. And I think included in that negotiation was an apology because the guy had got you know, a little bit stroppy due to uh, you know misunderstandings of language. So again, negotiation, do the homework, anticipate the counter-argument. So, all those who have been trained properly in, in reasoned argumentation should be quite good at negotiation, although it's negotiations more than just argument. There's a certain amount of showmanship, empathy, and homework, although some would say that's true of you know, real live public debate type argument, or reasoned argument, or legal argument. The analogy then has to be made with debates. If you're having a debate, you say something, I say something, how do you respond to that, that two-way dialogue, that dialectic? Indeed, it's almost strange that the word negotiation exists because the word argument has been around a long time. If you go to buy something, it is a debate, it is an argument, a reasoned argument, um, Negotiation has just been brought in as a softer word. I think the generic form is argument, and there's a lot of literature and a lot of research on argument and how it works and how it should be done going back a long time. So let me just focus a little bit on argument, remembering that trying to come up with an agreed price in negotiation is a problem and that a price is... An argument—it's the result of an argument. A price contains an argument. Bear with me while I just go back over briefly the dialectic some of the arguments. theory of I'm argumentation. I'm not talking about quarrelling. I'm talking about something like debate, reasoned debate, reasoned argument, legal arguments, and informal logic. By dialectic, I mean encouraging alternative views two or more with the intent of learning of being creative rather than simply being in a competition to win the argument or win the debate dialectic argument is the flip side of evidence-based reasoning because in order to present an argument or argue for one side of an argument you need evidence uh, in order to be convincing there are of course rules about what counts as good evidence to some extent there's a hierarchy of the quality of evidence that might be presented in support of an argument when thinking about dialectic arguments the names of stephen Toulmin, jürgen habermas and Karl Popper come to mind. When thinking of ancient Greek, Aristotle comes to mind. But there have been numerous other writers supporting argument as an epistemology, as a way of understanding and interpreting the world. Indeed, in the post Wittgenstein world, you would have to think that argument, dialectic argument, is possibly the only foundation to knowledge, to knowledge there is. That is, we require people, scientists problem solvers to make some sort of claim that this statement is true or valid and then there be an open public debate trying to disprove or falsify that claim with the intent of learning rather than simply winning in a competition. So how might dialectic argument be used to solve a problem to think about things and activities? The process following Toulmin is that somebody makes a claim, a conjecture, a proposition, or a solution. This is what they believe to be the solution to the problem. Uh, This is how we should think about this house or tree. Then they should present evidence in support of that claim, hopefully anticipating the counterclaims or counterarguments. If there's more than one person involved in the process, then an interlocutor might be nominated, a red team, people who are asked to purposely come up with alternative evidence or contradictory evidence in order to test the claim. This role is sometimes called a devil's advocate, but the argument requires at least a two-way process the general form of this knowledge claim at the at the beginning of an argument is of the form that x equals a and not b because and then the however should be included so using argument as a concept to think encourages some thought about a trade-off of ideas or the underlying tension in ideas or claims it's about Balance is about multiple perspectives, seeing things in tension. It is, of course, the system at the basis of courts who um, try and find justice. It's used in political debate. It's used in classroom debates. I gather Shakespeare spent much of his teenage years learning how to debate in order to improve his thinking skills. It is to some extent a competition. The guarantor of learning or truth emerging is from the competition or the tensions in the system, which is intended to make it creative, although you have to be careful it doesn't, it doesn't just become com- combative. It is possible simply to look at an object or an activity and say what argument is inherent in that thing. If we take a building, for example, there were all sorts of tensions, compromises, if you like, um, that had to be included aesthetics versus strength, cost, um, functionality of the building, location, weather conditions. All these things had to be built into the house. So the final house is a claim that this is the optimum house for the conditions, for the location or for the price or whatever you decide the conditions are. The same might be said of a piece of poetry or a piece of art, that it is a claim that this is an optimum statement of some sort, given underlying tensions or forces acting on it. So, this episode is arguing that dialectic argument provides a useful way to think. If you make a knowledge claim and try and justify it and anticipate the counter-arguments, It's a very useful and common way of encouraging creative thought. So negotiation as a sort of um, rewording of argumentation has the possibility within it of being creative. Remember the sort of thesis, antithesis, synthesis. We should really, with a negotiation, think, can we come up with something novel? Can we come up with a third way? Can we come up... Is something creative as a result of this negotiation process. It's not simply an I win, you lose situation. It's, it's a learning, an opportunity to be creative. Sharon Baling, the philosopher, argues that all the creativity of science comes out of the process of argumentation, that it was largely what the Greeks invented when they started science off was a process of argumentation. And we can think of negotiation as the same thing. The creativity comes from the tension between, or the dialectic between, the concepts buried in the argument. So, using the example of we're negotiating a wage rise, so let's say on the union side or the workers' side, they're saying we want higher wages, and we want a better pension scheme. And the employer side saying, well, only in return for more flexible working, better arrangements for firing incompetent people, and uh, you know, reasonable negotiations about the introduction of new technology. So what you've now got then in play is these five concepts. There's one of you know, pay rise and pensions, and the two concepts, remember we should think of them as systems, the, and the other three in play are flexibility, um, let's, let, you know, firing people, and introducing automation. And these concepts are in their intention with each other; they're in dialectic with each other, and that's they're the concepts, the system of concepts that enables the creativity to work, that enables the negotiation and the argument to work. It is the interaction between these concepts that allows for the creativity to emerge. I think that's something that gets missed from. The assumption of a zero-sum gain is the interaction between the concepts. And with these five concepts, we are building a system where we have inputs of increased price and pensions and outputs of flexibility, redundancy schemes, and automation tolerance. So negotiation could be seen to be a problem-solving technique rather than a clash of ideas. So you could actually say, I want to design a new bridge, and I want to be clever and do this and this, so I will negotiate with suppliers and people who have alternative ideas and financiers, and there will be negotiation, and and from that, if you do it correctly, a clever, well-designed, well-financed bridge will come out. Moving on a little bit... uh, I'm taking again Talab's work on anti-fragile, it's well worth asking: How do we make our system, our negotiation system, more anti-fragile? And remember, by anti-fragile, we mean not that the negotiation will break down or we'll be in some sort of deadlock. It it should be resilient to deadlock. But in fact, if a deadlock occurs, the the system should take advantage of it. I think with negotiation, this is saying that if the negotiation breaks down, it should be to somebody's advantage. So part of the negotiation process is knowing that if you, if you don't bend and compromise a little bit, there will be a breakdown in the negotiations and somebody will get an advantage from that. There needs to be a plan what happens if the negotiation breaks down so your assignment could well be to say think of a negotiation that has occurred either in your life or your organisation recently and try and identify the concepts in play the tension or dialectic between those concepts whether you felt it was a creative process, whether it was at least a cooperative process, so you could go back to the people and talk to them again without any tensions. What was the underlying argument both sides put? What type of evidence, what sort of reasoning, what sort of pressure points did they apply in the negotiation? How could it have been done differently? Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you very much.